At Online MedEd, we walk you through every topic in detail, so you're ready for the boards and the wards. In this lecture, we're going to review some different animals that can cause bites or stings. There's just a little nuance about each one that you should know about, not because you'll see it very often in practice, but because they come up on the test all the time. The first one is rabies, and the tests love rabies, even though rabies is essentially non-existent in the U.S. So, in considering rabies, someone is going to get bit by an animal. And you're going to have to decide, what's the risk of this person catching rabies? Now, rabies causes encephalopathy. Right? Most animals don't bite or attack humans. They usually run away. Except for the ones where you're invading their territory or you have them cornered against a wall. So, if you have an animal that's wild and just randomly attacks you, bats, squirrels, whatever, then the likelihood of them being rabid is high. So you ask, was it an unprovoked wild animal attack? If yes, that animal's considered wild. And no one's really going to care except for PETA if you capture and kill it because it doesn't belong to anybody. So if you can capture and kill the animal, you'll look at its brain to try to find that it has rabies. On the other hand, if it's a domesticated animal, and a little girl comes up and pulls on a dog's ear and tries to steal a steak, and he nips her, that's not the same thing, it's perhaps low risk. So if they're not wild and they were provoked, this is a domesticated animal, and the owners generally care whether or not they lose their pets, so you're just going to observe them. And this is in general going to be the, the, the animal attack that isn't a commanded strike, but has like some under, some stress and some stranger gets bit by another stranger's dog and they're not sure if it's wild, rabid, or is provoked. So you watch the dog and find out what happens. If there are signs and symptoms of rabies, the vignette is not going to care what you do with the animal, it's going to care what you do with the person. So if there are signs and symptoms of rabies or you weren't able to capture that animal that was wild, Go ahead and give the rabies immunoglobulin along with the vaccine. And if there's no signs and symptoms of rabies, you can just stop. Now the next one is not a bite at all, it's a sting. When you get stung by a bee or stung by a wasp, the only thing that matters is are you in anaphylaxis? And you identify anaphylaxis by a low blood pressure and a closing airway. If you're allergic to bees and you get stung by a bee and you're in anaphylactic shock, the only thing that matters is I am epi. One to a thousand. Give it right now. Anaphylaxis is also treated with histamine blockers, H1 and H2, and systemic corticosteroids. But the right answer is, if anaphylaxis, give epi. If no, then all you have to do is remove the pincer. Because bees and wasps don't actually do anything to you other than hurt. Snakes, a few things you got to know about them. The question will be, what is the risk that this person has been envenomated and is going to die and needs antivenom? The thing is that especially young snakes, which haven't learned to control their venom, 
A single envenomation may be enough to kill a person. So those snakes that are poisonous, if you actually see the snake that bit you, you can increase your pretest probability of using antivenom if they've got slit-like eyes, a cobra cowl, or they have a rattler. But unless it's a snake handler, most people may not get a good look at the snake or they may have just been bitten, didn't even know it was by a snake. In that case, you need to use the patient's risk factors, which is things like skin changes, turning dark or husky, erythema, or pain out of proportion to the puncture site. The diagnosis here is clinical, and you have to get the information from the patient and from the snake. Hopefully he got a good view of it, because it'll help you decide whether or not you're going to do antivenom. And that's the only thing you have for it, if high-risk snake and high-risk patient give antivenom. Two spiders you should be aware of. The first one is the black widow. This is a board favorite because they can give you a picture of the, the spider. She's going to have a red hourglass on her belly. Most people don't see the spider, but if you see the black widow and you've been bit by it, you're likely to present with abdominal pain, looking like pancreatitis. The diagnosis is clinical. Hey, yeah, I saw her. She bit me. The treatment is IV calcium if you start to drop your calcium. But really, it's going to be, here's a picture of a spider. What do you have to worry about? Calcium. The one that you can't identify very well on visually is the brown recluse. And the brown recluse is generally found in the southern states of the U.S. And the vignette is going to mention something about an attic or old boxes. Someone who's moving out of their southern home and hasn't touched the attic in 50 years gets bit by a spider. The problem is that most people think it's just a bite. They don't ever see the brown recluse. They don't know that they've been bitten by a brown recluse. And all they have is just a little bite. Well, then that bite begins to ulcerate. And then their whole hand falls off in full-on necrosis. If you see someone who got bit a couple days ago, then ulcerated, and now their hand's falling off, the diagnosis is clinical. It was a brown recluse bite. And the only treatment we have, there's no antivenom, is to debride it. You debride it again and again and again and again and again, eventually you get ahead of the toxin, and then you follow it up with grafting, skin graft. The one you actually encounter a lot in real life, more so than on the test, is when you get bit by the animals that people have. Right, so if you get bit by a dog or a cat, what do you do? And I want you to recognize how closely this parallels human bites. So the dog, a, a person gets bit by a dog or a cat, they're going to be infected with pastorella. That's like the board favorite. What's the bug that goes along with it? It's pastorella. Men get bit by dogs more than women do. Women get bit by cats more than men do. And what you're going to do with the wound is depend on how bad it is, right? So a kitten that scratches his owner and doesn't break the skin is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a pit bull attack that punctures skin, a guard dog that takes down an intruder, or a wild animal that bites the crap out of someone's arm, right? This is skin punctured, the wound is deep, it doesn't look good.
The diagnosis is clinical, like, hey, I got bit by an animal, look, I'm bleeding and I've got holes in my arm. The treatment is going to be irrigation. You start with irrigation and you irrigate it a lot. And when you're going, getting ready to follow the wound up or actually discharge them, you leave the wound open and allow it to heal by secondary intention so you don't get an infection. If you get bit by a dog or cat and it's a good bite, you don't have to worry about deciding does it look infected or not. Just put them on amoxicillin clavulanate. And because these bites are dirty, consider it a wound for tetanus. And so if it's been more than five years since their last booster, they're going to get both tetanus immunoglobulin as well as tetanus toxoid. Because this counts as a dirty wound. All right, see the parallels between this and humans. Humans have dirty mouths. So the organisms aren't really relevant, but we know them as gram negatives and anaerobes. And the way humans get bit is generally going to be with people who are uh, engaging in sex acts or those who get into fist fights. And because these are generally considered taboo, you're probably not going to get a straightforward story. So if someone comes up with this weird way of how they've got this bite mark on their knuckle, be like, okay, did you get into a fist fight? You don't care. You need to know if that knuckle collided with someone's tooth because that little scrape may be a lot worse. And it's the same thing as with dogs and cats, right? It's a clinical diagnosis. If someone just has a little scratch, no big deal. But if someone's got a real wound, you're going to have to irrigate it. You irrigate, you irrigate, you irrigate. And then if you have to operate on it, you leave it open to heal by secondary intention so you don't get any infection. And you're going to treat it with amoxicillin clavulanate. And consider these dirty wounds. So if it's been greater than five years since your last tetanus, you need both the immunoglobulin and the toxoid. It's essentially the same thing, the same management, and it's based on the severity of wounds. Cats and dogs, irrigation, leave it open, amoxicillin clavulanate. If they're really sick, the IV form, ampicillin sulbactam. Spiders, black widows got a red hourglass. Brown recluse, bite, then their hand falls off. Bee stings and wasp stings, if there's anaphylaxis, use IM epi. If snakes, identify the risk factor of the snake and the risk factor of the person to give antivenom. And lastly, if you have rabies or are considering rabies, if it's wild, capture and kill it. If it's not, domesticate. And if there's any signs of rabies at all, give both the IgG and the vaccine.